and all God's people said, Amen. Please stand with me for our confession of faith. Our confession of faith today is found in the Nicene Creed. So I ask, so I will ask you, my brothers and my sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only God and Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture reading today is a long one. So, Jeanette, I hope you're prepared to read. It's from Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 25, and verses 57 through 66. And our sermon title today is Not What You Would Expect. Jeanette. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were born both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments of the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advancing years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And that whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for the prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of, his, of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, and he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months he kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by his name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And when he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue leaped, as he, and, and he spoke, blessing God. And, for fear, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard him, and all who heard them, laid them up in their hearts, saying, "What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him." Thank you, Jeanette, uh, for reading us God's word today. As we go through the Gospel of Luke, uh, there will be long scripture readings, just because we we can't go through every little passage of Luke itself. So I do pray and hope that as scripture is read, uh, that you will find yourself in the midst of the story uh, to hear the character of God and what he's doing amongst his people, to hear people like Elizabeth and Zechariah and even John the Baptist, and hear how they themselves are um, dealing with God's appearance in their lives. And may you find yourself in the midst hearing God's voice, and you find yourself in the midst asking questions of who is this God that's been re that's being revealed in the gospel of Luke? And then may you rejoice both in fear but also in thankfulness that our God has come to save, to save all of us. We have here in Luke chapter 1 a birth narrative. A narrative about the birth of John the Baptist. Um, intertwined with that is actually the birth narrative of Jesus as well, but we will probably skip over that just because we had Christmas and we went over that in the past. But today I want to show you what it is that God is doing and what it is that Luke is trying to convey to us 
about the character of God in these first stories of what is happening in the history of Israel and the history of the church itself. 400 years had passed, approximately, since the, lad, since the Lord last spoke. And for about 400 years, the nation of Israel was wondering, will God speak again? This is probably the longest silent treatment in all of history. God was upset with Israel. And God's judgment on Israel at this point in time was not the angels coming down with fire. Was not the Lord himself coming with the sword. But it was simple silence. And everyone wondered whether what the prophets had last spoken would come to fruition. People wondered whether there would be another prophet who would come and speak the very words of God. The anticipation, the stress, the unknowing nature of the heart of whether or not God still loves us permeated all of Israel. But God did decide to speak again. And God spoke to Zechariah, one of the priests. And in speaking through Zechariah about the fact that the womb of his wife would be open. God was telling him, the nation of Israel through him that I have once again started this journey to speak and to love my people. Now let's go through a brief summary of what's happening in this passage. And let's learn just three basic principles of what we can learn about God himself and how that in turn helps us to interact with that same God as well. God decides to speak to Zechariah as he has been chosen to go into the Holy of Holies to offer incense, chosen by lot. This, was, this is not a duty that is sort of uh, easy to do. It's not a duty that every single person wanted to do. For in order to go into the Holy of Holies, you had to prepare yourself. You had to wash yourself. There's a ritual that you would have to go to before you went into the intersanctum of God. We have stories in the intertestamental period of, of priests who would go in and who would die because they, they saw the face of God. There are stories of how they would go in, they would tie a rope around their ankle as they went in, just in case something happened to them, to pull them out. This wasn't something that people enjoyed doing or looked for. That's why they were chosen by lot. And by God's sovereignty, this man, Zechariah, was chosen to go in. And God spoke to him. 
And God said, I have answered your prayers. Now, there's probably basically two prayers that he prayed that God answered. One, Lord, remember the nation of Israel. Remember your promises to your people. Second prayer, my wife and I desire a child. Answer us. And God does. And God does. What's beautiful about this passage is not the fact that God has spoken and done in and of itself. But the type of people Zechariah and Elizabeth was. The type of person that John the Baptist was to be. And the way that this announcement permeated all of the world to the fact that we have that here in the Gospel of Luke that there is no mistake that God himself has once again opened up the floodgates of heaven that his voice may be heard. Now let's go dive into this just a little bit further. God had decided to choose Elizabeth and Zechariah in this endeavor. Both are described as righteous and blameless. Zechariah is a priest. Both are old, and Elizabeth herself is barren or without child. There's something interesting here about the people that he's chosen. They are described as righteous and blameless. They are described as people that were serving the Lord, as people who did all the right things according to the Mosaic law, perhaps all the right things according to the Levitical laws as well. They, they kept themselves clean. They were kosher, if you say it that way today. All peoples would look upon them and say, these are righteous people. Zechariah himself being a priest. But there's something interesting about them. Both were old and both were longing for children. And Elizabeth, as described here, is described simply as barren. Now you can understand during that period of time the stigma of not having children. You can understand during this period of time what the people must have thought about Zechariah and Elizabeth. On the one hand, they knew they were righteous and blameless. But the other hand, they themselves and the world around them must have been thinking, what did they do that they are without child now and today? What did they do that all the people look at her as a reproach of God and not a blessing of simply who they are? 
although they understand and have read probably the stories of, of Abraham and Sarah's barrenness, of Hannah and her barrenness. There is something fixed within the Hebrew mind, and can I say just the human mind, that when we do not see fruitfulness, that there must be some type of curse. Someone must have done something wrong. And God chooses these people. God does not choose those who have had everything together. God does not choose. The story doesn't say that, that Zechariah was volunteered himself and said, I want to go to the Holy of Holies. It doesn't say that she was, uh, Elizabeth was the woman of all women. Highly esteemed, perhaps. Many children, rich. But they were simply humble servants of God looking to do their best. And yet, this one aspect of their lives hindered them. What is beautiful about this is that we learn that God Himself, and this is jumping around here, delights in using what the world sees as useless for His kingdom. God delights to, to use what people see as brokenness, what people see as, as unfulfillment, fulfillment, what people see as shame to bring about his kingdom and his work. And I dare say, us as God's people, we often look around and we try to figure out what are the strengths that we have in our church. Simply, what are my own strengths? God will bring my strengths to the church. That's going to be my strengths to Christ. And God, use my strengths to serve you. But there's something interesting when we offer up our strengths. When we offer up our strengths, oftentimes the temptation is to bring glory to ourselves. The temptation is to think that we ourselves have done something for the Lord. But what's beautiful about this passage is that God uses what looks barren and empty to bring about his purpose. And God does that for his people too. It is those weaknesses, those holes in your life, those things that you believe bring you shame, that God uses most for his glory. And I want to encourage you in this. Now, I don't want to encourage you so sort of just to look at your soul, look how awful you are, and just sort of live there. But I want to encourage you to look in the mirror and to see how God has made you. But to also look in the mirror and see 
providentially what's happened in your life, providentially where you are right now, and ask yourself the question, where am I most suffering? Where am I most having difficulties? In other words, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, what do I pray for for the most? Sure, let me just pray for CCPC in general. It's like Zechariah prays for the nation of Israel. But what is that that longs in my heart that makes me feel weak, that makes me feel ashamed? And let that draw you closer to the Lord in continual prayer. But you know also that the Lord will reach you in those places and use those weaknesses for his glory. That's what God's in the business of doing. And we will see and continue to see in the Gospel of Luke that God does not choose the kings and the princes and the rich, but God chooses the weak, the struggling, the suffering to bring about his kingdom. And so you too must do at least two things. One, look at your own suffering. Lament about it. Be sad about it. But see God in there. Don't let it kill you or distract you. But ask God, God, what is it that you are trying to do within me? If I don't have an answer now, that's okay, God. I will struggle and continue to struggle to see you. But the second thing that the church should always do is that when we look around and when we see people come into the church, don't look for their strengths. But be those people who gravitate towards people's weaknesses. Not so that you can fix them. Not so you can even change them. But so that you can walk with them. And see God work where he longs to work. And the brokenness. And the laments of people. And we as a church should never tire of doing that. It is okay. Let me expand this. It is the work of the church to always be lamenting, to be always sharing with one another the things that we are suffering, that we may see the Lord in our midst. God is good. It is okay for us to live there. It's okay for us to rejoice there as well. Another aspect of this that we need to understand is unfulfillment is not a sign of God's punishment. In other words, just the fact that, that Elizabeth was barren doesn't mean that God was punishing her. Doesn't mean that God was punishing Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I think many of us have a tendency to think that if we're not blessed in this world, that God is punishing. 
that if we are with, without child, God is punishing me. That if I am still single, God is punishing me. If I still haven't found that job yet, God is punishing me. And the natural inclination for all of us is simply to do what? Try harder. I'm going to try harder to be a better Christian. I'm going to try harder to do what God requires of me. For obviously, I must be doing something wrong if God is not blessing me. This is the same wisdom that we call simply conventional wisdom in the Old Testament. The conventional wisdom that we see in the first half of the book of Proverbs. The conventional wisdom um, that we see in the book of Job. That when people suffer, that there must be a direct cause to it. But in the Old Testament, we have another set of a wisdom called skeptical wisdom. This is the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the book of Job. This is part of Proverbs, where skeptical wisdom says, basically, we don't really know what is going on. And it's not as easy as saying tick for tack that this caused this. But that the works of God, even though there is a moral fabric in this universe, that God himself chooses and or not chooses to give or to take away. But God is still present. And God is not evil. And so whenever we are in our lives, whenever we perceive people and what they have in their lives, our tendency is to judge people's spirituality quickly, even our own. But we see here, God calls the cry and Elizabeth righteous and blameless. They are right with the Lord. They are loved by the Lord. So we do not judge ourselves harshly according to some moral code. We do not judge others harshly by that same moral code. We are loved by God. Your sufferings, your unfulfillment, is not a sign of God's punishment. God's love for you is still hidden. Hidden in you. No matter what circumstance, no matter what the world throws at you today. Now, here was the news that John the Baptist of Zechariah was given. He said, your child is going to be very special. And you can imagine, he's, he's in the Holy of Holies. He's looking at God. And, and oh, sorry, the angel of the Lord is speaking to him. And he says, my name is Gabriel. Let me tell you about this child you're going to have. And he says, listen, he's not to drink any wine or strong drink. Uh, sort of like the, the vow of the Nazarite in terms of um, setting himself apart. From the people. He says that this man will turn many from the Lord. He says that he'll be filled with the Spirit. That in fact, that he will be the fulfillment of Elijah's return. 
In other words, in Malachi 3, 1, we're talking about the prophet will return, and, and, and the people of Israel believe that that would be Elijah to return to prepare the way for the messianic age, that John the Baptist is this Elijah. You could imagine the, the reaction of Zechariah. All I wanted was a child. And you're telling me that my true prayers are going to be answered. And this one child that you will be giving to me and Elizabeth at our old age. And Zechariah couldn't believe. Zechariah was rendered mute. Um, most likely, if we if we keep reading verse sixty three, um, this word expands more. Expands not simply not being able to talk, but it also means not being able to hear. Uh, we know it, it seems that Zechariah himself couldn't speak, but also couldn't hear as well. That's why people were assigning to him. If he could hear, they wouldn't have to sign to him. They would just he would hear, and then he would not be able to speak. But it seems here that he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak at all. That Elizabeth kept this hidden from people for five months as well. But Elizabeth knew something. That her reproach would be taken away. That that which the world saw and she herself saw as a punishment would be taken away. And there's joy. We know today in our world that our reproach has already been taken away. One thing I tell people about our church, and, and I will keep sort of um, telling people and rejoicing about this in our church, and even if it's only like 80% true, I'm going to speak it into being and pray it into being. And that is this, is that people here don't care what school you went to. People here don't care what education you have. People here don't care how much money you make. People here don't care That reproach has been taken away. But what we care about here in this church is people's hearts. That they go closer to the Lord. That they grow in wisdom. And whatever lot that God has given you, it doesn't matter. And that we rejoice in whatever lot that we receive as well to use for His kingdom. But here's something that's very interesting. And this is principle number, well, letter C. Is that God delights when all glory, wait, God delights when all glory, uh, okay, this is a typo here. God, God delights when all glory goes to him. Let's just put that way. Sorry about that. Something happened there. God delights when all glory goes to him. Even though this was sort of kept quiet for a while. God made sure that Zechariah, Elizabeth, and those around them 
understood that what was happening was God and nobody else. This is when you know that you have recognized God in your own life doing work in your through you and you, through you and your weakness. It's when you can recognize God himself and glorify him and say praises to him, to grow in fear of him, to grow in love with him, that you know that you've allowed God or God has been working in you. Now, God does it in a very specific way here. He tells um, Zechariah, you're not going to be able to speak or hear until the baby is born. That's pretty, pretty extreme sign. And then we see that after the child was born, they asked, well, what should we call him? And Elizabeth says, John. And he says, no one in our family is named John. No one. And so they signed to Zechariah, what should we name him? And his mouth is open. John. And most likely from then on, he, he keeps on telling about the wonders of what God shown him. There is no mistake that this was God who gave this, this family their child. There's no mistake that all that God had told Zechariah would come to fruition. There's no mistake that when God has spoken again, that God's word will come true. And they all feared and glory in that same God. When God uses those who are weak, when God uses those who are, who are, who are outcasts, when those who are weak and when those who are outcasts recognizes God's hand in all things and glory in him, fear him and love him, that's when you know that God is at work in you. And so a lesson for us in, in, in this aspect is when, you, when God does his work in you, and he does. Do you see God as simply as your therapist who sort of gives you an aha moment and go, aha, and then move on? You're not giving glory to God. You're saying, thanks God for the info. I got it from here. I'll take it. But when God reveals your heart, when God shows you a path of wisdom, when God takes away your shame, takes away your reproach, we as God's people need to open our eyes to see God's handiwork and glory in Him. Sing praises to him. Share with everyone. This is one time where I say, go ahead, go on Facebook, go ahead, go on Twitter. Go ahead and write what God has done. Go ahead, invite people over and have tea, high noon tea, whatever you guys want to do. Invite people over and have a meal together and tell what God has done. And then all peoples know that this isn't simply when God has worked in you, that this isn't about me or about me changing. It's about God working in you and God working in us.
This is how God works. This is the joy that God speaks. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we read through the Gospel of Luke, we will see these things over and over and over and over again. That God works in history. He's spoken. That God chooses the weak, the poor. That God desires all glory for himself, that all people may worship him. Our prayer as we go through the Gospel of Luke, that this would so seep into our hearts that we would see every single one of these people as me, as you. And that we would all be in fear and wonder of our God, who he is, and what he has done. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We ask of you, Lord God, to continue, Lord, to bless this church, Lord Jesus. There is nothing more better than to be with God's people and to wrestle, Lord, with the things of faith. And so we ask of you, Lord God, to help us as your people to look at each other as we see each other's weaknesses, as we see what may be a reproach to others, and to draw near to each other, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to pray, to pray incessantly, and pray fervently, Lord God, that you would use these things for your glory somehow, and that when you do, you always do, that we will rejoice. And tell them the mountain top. Tell one another of the things that God is doing. And we together as a people of God to be a people who desire to sing your praises over and over again. Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's continue to worship with our tithes and offerings. for me to see people take out their phones to do their offering, but <laughs> praise be to God. Um, today we have a, a privilege to have a friend of mine here, um, David Kinoy. Uh, he's an MTW missionary, so I'm just going to come up and sort of give a little bit of context of how